0: It
1: is. From deep inside
2: your radio.
1: Well, ladies and gentlemen, speaking only on behalf of myself, because uh, who else am I going to speak for? Mm, I'd like to, uh, as a as a New Orleanian here in New Orleans, uh, thank the folks, uh, our, our brothers and sisters of NPR, for coming down and, and uh, teaching us all about water this weekend. Uh, and now.
0: What? I had a secret that lived within the heart of me. All too soon, my secret became impatient to be free. Or
1: maybe not. Deadline Charlotte, North Carolina the Charlotte Mecklenburg police use a secretive surveillance system that collects information from cell phones and wireless devices to locate crime suspects, but also gathers data from innocent people. Wouldn't you rather be an innocent person? For eight years, the Charlotte Observer has learned the police department has owned portable equipment that mimics a cell tower and allows officers investigating crimes to learn the serial numbers, location, and other information about nearby phones and laptop computers and tablets that collect to a cellular network. The surveillance equipment known by names such as Stingray, Hailstorm, Amberjack, or Triggerfish has been used by the military and federal agencies since the 1990s to hunt down terrorists. But interviews and documents collected from the Charlotte Observer's Freedom of Information Act requests show the police department uses the technology on a weekly basis to track suspects in violent felonies, kidnappings, and missing persons cases. Privacy groups say the surveillance is so intrusive it violates the Constitution's prohibition, (laughs) the Constitution, against unreasonable search and seizure. The technology is powerful enough, they say, to penetrate a home's walls. The groups note the public cannot find out precisely how many local police agencies own the technology, how often they use it, or what happens to the phone data that officers capture from bystanders. The Obama administration, the most transparent in history, must be true. I can see right through them. They've ordered cities not to disclose information about the equipment. You see. During a recent visit to Charlotte, FBI Director James Comey said his agency is trying to shield police tactics from criminals. Local and state leaders told The Observer they were surprised the police department captured phone data from innocent people. And some called for more transparency. Try scotch tape. The thought of police or another agency collecting data on communications devices is troubling, says the city councilman. I understand the balance between security and privacy, but I think we should honor the privacy protection of the Constitution. The Constitution. What happens to the data? Who sees it? Who has access to it? He asks rhetorically. The Charlotte City Council voted unanimously without debate in 2012 to spend almost half a million dollars to upgrade the surveillance cell phone technology for the police department. Council members interviewed recently said they did not remember voting to purchase the technology. Ooh, the police department erased their memories. Councilwoman Claire Fallon said she and other council members should have demanded more information before they voted. So should we all. Don't you think? The Obama administration has until early December to detail its reasons for withholding as many as 2,100 graphic photographs <laughs> depicting U.S. military torture of detainees in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's by order of a federal judge giving the administration that deadline. By the 12th of December, Justice Department attorneys, according to the Guardian newspaper, will have to list photograph by photograph the government's rationale for keeping redacted versions of the photos unseen by the public. Any actual release of the photographs will come after the judge reviews the government's reasoning and issues another ruling in the protracted transparency case, the judge left unclear how much of the Justice Department's declaration will itself be public, but the government's submission is likely to be its most detailed argument for secrecy over the imagery in a case that has lasted a decade. But, shh, you he didn't hear it here. Here, hello. Welcome to the show. <music>
3: Well, Speak on a lie while well, I told a few. And they say that's not what Jesus would do. Well, I've been tempted, red, white, and blue. But you'll understand when you're in my shoes. I would just find my way. I don't believe, I don't believe I'd have made it up the mountain. I don't believe, I don't believe I'd have climbed so high. I don't believe, I don't believe I'd have made it up the mountain without the fire burning on my behind.
1: From New Orleans, Louisiana, where it might be fun to go check the uh, search page at NPR News for the phrase "Army Corps of Engineers" and see what you know—how encyclopedic the information you get is. From New Orleans, I say I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Embersall, Jr. A new scoring system for competitive bowling will be unveiled next month as the sport continues to step up its bid for a place in the Olympic
2: Games.
1: The revised system, which will be used during the World Bowling Tour men's and women's finals in Las Vegas next month, is the result of work done by a panel of international bowling experts, including world bowling leaders. Wouldn't you like to meet them? Athletes, coaches, news media, and commercial bowling industry executives. This according to InsideTheGames.biz. The International Task Force with the additional input of Professional Bowlers Association leadership, develop the system in order to make the sport more attractive and easier to understand for casual bowling fans, the news media, and the competitors. You guys don't understand the game and you're bowling? With emphasis on winning frames, much like golf's Ryder Cup places emphasis on winning holes, the system is expected to dramatically reduce the length of time and complexity of scoring required to complete a two-player match. That's the complaint you hear about bowling. It takes too long. Quote, we believe we have found the right balance between modernizing our sport while retaining credibility and tradition our athletes' and fans' value," said World Bowling President Kevin Dornberger. Dornberger, sorry. Vin Doinbiggy. All of us involved with this prospect, uh, project, are looking forward to its introduction in Las Vegas," he said. Hey, everybody, gambles in Vegas. Matches will involve 12 frames in which each player will throw one shot. If one player gets a higher pin count than the other, he or she will win the frame. And if both players strike, the frame will be tied. If another player, if neither player strikes, but each has the same pin count each player will try to convert the spare. If both successfully convert their spares, the frame will be a tie, but if one player has a higher pin count than the other after two shots, that player will win the frame. At the point one player has won more frames, than frames remain, he or she will be declared the winner. See? See how easy it is now? Oh, and if a match is all square after 12 frames, the tie will be broken using the single frame format described above until the tie is broken. Well, if that doesn't get it into the Olympics, I don't know what will. Maybe lube the bowling ball. You know, just to make it slide more. It's friction that stood in the way of that game getting into the Olympics. Ladies and gentlemen, the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. And as they march into the distance, we um, visit momentarily, briefly, the Ebola story that is still roiling our media, unstoppably so. Uh, Now we have reached the uh, sort of the the Baroque stage where the media, tiring of having scared us unnecessarily or uh, unreasonably for two or three weeks, now trots out a series of experts to tell us why we shouldn't be unnecessarily afraid. That's always good, that, that, um, that backtrack. That uh, Oh, were we, were we scaring you? <laughs> you fool. Uh, the Texas hospital in Dallas, or as I call it, Big E, uh, that mistakenly sent home a man who had Ebola now says they found the problem. It wasn't human error. It was flawed software. That's what caused the doctors to miss the diagnosis. Health officials and local residents in the Big E have been asking how the hospital could have missed what would have been, appeared to be obvious—an obvious potential case of Ebola. A Liberian citizen who said he'd recently traveled from Liberia with fever and abdominal pain. As in the, but you see, the isn't part of the software. Protocols were followed by both the physician and the nurses. The hospital said in a statement issued this week. The nurse who took. Thomas Eric Duncan's medical history did the job correctly. However, quote, the hospital, we've identified a flaw in the way the physician and nursing portions of our electronic health records interacted in this specific case. This is what the Obama administration is trying to force doctors and hospitals to do more of, electronic health records. Quote, in our electronic health records, EHR, there are separate physician and nursing workflows. The documentation of the travel history was located in the nursing workflow and was designed to provide a high-reliability nursing process to allow for the administration of influenza vaccine under a physician-designated standing order. As designed, the travel history would not automatically appear in the physician's standard workflow, unquote. In other words, the nurse wrote that Duncan had come from Liberia, but the doctors who examined him would not have automatically seen that, and they were not prompted to ask where he's been. As a result of this discovery, quoting now again from the statement, Texas Health Dallas has relocated the travel history documentation to a portion of the EHR that is part of both workflows. It has also been modified to specifically reference Ebola endemic regions in Africa, the hospital said. So that solves the last problem. What do you do about the next one with the software? It is... um, I mentioned, I think, last week's broadcast on last week's broadcast that there was a film showing in the New Orleans Film Festival that, the, this past week, a, a wonderful documentary called "Big Charity," which specifically is about the closing of the oldest operating hospital in America, continuously operating hospital in America, and the keystone of the Charity Hospital system in Louisiana, uh, which for decades uh, delivered high quality health care for free to the working poor and indigent. Why would you want to do that? And so it was, clo- of course, it was closed in pursuit, according to the chief executive involved at the time, of a new health delivery model. So we're, I guess what we saw in Dallas is part of the new health delivery model. It's not. It's not bad medicine, it's just a new model. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is your brain on the war on drugs. A new report from the Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice. Adds to the growing body of evidence that legalizing or decriminalizing marijuana does not lead to any number of doomsday scenarios envisioned by legalization opponents, according to the Washington Post. Looking specifically at California, the report finds that marijuana decriminalization in California has not resulted, this is a quote, in, has not resulted in harmful consequences for teenagers such as increased crime, drug overdose, driving under the influence, or school dropout. In fact, California teenagers showed improvements in all risk areas after the decriminalization of marijuana. Most notable is the drop in school dropout rates. Recent studies have suggested links between heavy marijuana use and low school completion rates, but many experts question the direction of causality in those figures, suggesting that there could be any number of confounding factors that account for the relationship. The numbers above suggest skepticism about Plummeting about claims of plummeting academic achievement, says the Post. In fact, as the report's authors write, by a variety of measures, California's teenage behaviors actually improved dramatically after marijuana was effectively legalized. Improvements that occurred more weekly or not at all among older Californians and among teenagers nationwide, including states that haven't changed their marijuana laws. No causality indicated either way. In the two years since full-scale decriminalization went into effect, uh, this sky hasn't fallen. And adding to a mounting body of research that shows teen drug and alcohol use continues to fall, even as more states decriminalize marijuana. States with medical marijuana laws haven't seen any upsurge in teen marijuana use. States with medical marijuana have actually seen decreases in prescription drug overdoses. In Alaska, where personal marijuana use has been de facto legalized for nearly 40 years, It's completely average on a variety of economic and demographic indicators, and traffic fatalities in Colorado have fallen since marijuana was legalized there. On the other hand, a 2012 Duke University study made international headlines when it purportedly found a link between heavy marijuana use and IQ decline among teenagers. Other researchers questioned the findings almost immediately. Columbia University's Carl Hart noted the very small sample size in the study, lead, leaded, led him, leaded him, hello, to question how generalizable the results were. A follow-up study published six months later in the same journal found the Duke paper failed to account for a number of confounding factors. Quote, although it would be too strong to say the results have been discredited, the methodology is flawed, and the causal inference drawn from the results premature, was the conclusion of that study. Now, a new study out from University College London, even stronger evidence that the Duke findings were flawed. A considerably larger sample of adolescents than the Duke research, 2,600 children born near Bristol in the UK in 1991 and 92. Researchers examined their IQ scores at age 8 and again uh, 15 and found no relationship between cannabis use and lower IQs at age 15. When confounding factors such as alcohol use, cigarette use, maternal education and others were taken into account, even heavy marijuana use wasn't associated with IQ. Except for Cheech and Ch- no please now come on in particular alcohol use was found to be alcohol use was found to be strongly associated with IQ decline the authors write no other factors were found to be predictive of IQ change did they check television the uk study does find evidence of slightly impaired educational abilities among the very heaviest marijuana users they scored roughly 3% lower on school exams taken at age 15 or 16 even after adjusting for the confounding factors. I blame the exams. This is your brain on the war on drugs. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. No direct relationship between the previous.
0: We're so sorry.
1: Not yet. The provincial government of British Columbia has apologized for the wrongful hanging of six Tlinkut chiefs more than a century ago, saying the apology is the first step in a history, in healing a history of mistreatment, misrepresentation, and lack of recognition of what they call in Canada First Nations people in in territory and in the rest of the province. To the extent that it falls within the power of the province of British Columbia, we confirm without reservation that these six Tlingitian chiefs are fully exonerated of any crime of wrongdoing, said the premier. The in people rightly regard these chiefs as heroes, so today we offer this apology a historic day 150 years later. Timing, babe, timing. The Prime Minister of British Columbia is due, was to uh, travel to Tlingit in territory this weekend to issue a similar apology in person. The war erupted when British Columbia was a colony. The government tried to build a, a toll road to gold fields that happened to be on First Nations or Aboriginal territory. The uh, tribes decimated by smallpox and fearing an influx of settlers into their territory, put up an armed resistance to the workers attempting to build the road. By the end of May of 1864, 19 road builders and a farmer were dead. A militia army of more than 100 was sent into the area. Capturing the possible was impossible. After three months, the area's police chief invited the aboriginals to a meeting. Believing they were summoned for peace talks, the First Nations chiefs were arrested. The men were given brief trials. Five were hanged. No, actually, six were hanged. the road was never built. Deadline Vienna. Austria's president has apologized for his country's treatment of soldiers who deserted Hitler's army during World War II, treating them as traitors. President Heinz Fischer said that labeling the Austrian deserters that way for decades after the conflict is something for which one has to apologize and shame himself. He spoke while unveiling a memorial honoring those who had fled military duty rather than serve under the Nazi regime. The ceremony was attended by municipal dignitaries, and some of those who had deserted the Wehrmacht. Deadline San Francisco. T- San Francisco tour bus company City Sightseeing is apologizing after an employee was caught on video making racist remarks, slamming just about everything about Chinatown. Community leaders are calling the rant offensive and racist. The two-and-a-half-minute video shows a City Sightseeing San Francisco tour guide going on a profanity-laced rant while the double-decker bus passes through Chinatown. The clip was posted on YouTube... Viewed more than 300,000 times as of Thursday afternoon. The woman insults Chinatown's food, parades, and people. It was her last day of work. It appears she's holding a bottle of alcohol. The CEO of City uh, Sightseeing issued a statement that reads in part comments made by this former employee on her last day of employment are absolutely not a representation of how much we love and support Chinatown. And they apologized. And tour guides will also get additional training. In not swearing about Chinatown. That's got to be good training. Dateline San Jose Bank of America apologized this week for a double billing glitch that affected some customers who made purchases with Apple Pay, Apple Pay, the new mobile payment service that Apple launched this week. Some customers have reported they were charged twice, charged twice for the same purchase when they used Bank of America debit cards, debit cards with Apple Pay. The glitch involved about 1,000 transactions and all duplicate charges will be refunded, said a spokeswoman for the bank bank of opportunity to double charge you. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's top official facing heightened scrutiny over the agency's handling of a deadly airbag defect apologized this week for publishing inaccurate information in the agency's warnings about the defect and for technical glitches that made its online recall search tool kind of inaccessible. The warnings which urged owners to act immediately To fix vehicles recalled for Takata airbags that may malfunction, incorrectly identified several models as being affected by the results and excluded others. The agency corrected the information, causing the number of recalled vehicles in the warning to grow from four and a half to 7.8 million and sparking confusion about the scope of the action. Quote, we greatly regret the information provided in our initial safety advisory was inaccurate and we've experienced significant problems with our website, said the deputy administrator of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. A Green Bay, Wisconsin alderman has apologized to a Muslim resident for responding to her inquiry about public bus service with questions about her political beliefs and whether she condemns terrorism. Alderman Chris Wary directed his questions to Heba Mohammed after the recently the recent University of Wisconsin-Green Bay graduate asked the alderman why city bus service is not free on election day. The councilman or the alderman agreed to check But then he asked Mohammed about her involvement in starting a Muslim student association group at the university. I just want to be assured that your group in no way promotes or defends militant Islamic ideology, he wrote, asking if the association condemns terrorist groups such as Hamas. He's sorry. CNN's Carol Costello apologized this week for joking about a police recording of Bristol Palin, daughter of you-know-who. Over the past few days, I've been roundly criticized for joking about a brawl involving the Palin family. In retrospect, I deserve such criticism and would like to apologize, Costello said in a statement to Politico. In the the tape that was played, Palin was describing an, an alleged altercation at a birthday party in Wasilla, She described what happened to her after she confronted someone she accused of pushing her sister. Don't mess with the Palins. The Swiss retailer Migros has apologized for what officials call a string of errors that put coffee cream with the faces of Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini in cafes in Switzerland. Migros officials promised that the the company would withdraw these small pots of cream from cafes. We formally apologize for this inexcusable mistake, said the company after online media reported on the controversial products. Company officials also announced they'd cut business ties with the Swiss company that supplied the packaging. The little plastic pots did not go on sale in the company's supermarket chain but went to customers who ordered coffee creamer at about 100 restaurants and cafes. Labels from mini cream pots have a cult following in Switzerland. They don't have a lot to do, you know, build cuckoo clocks and keep your money secret. Um, manufacturers feed the passion of collectors by releasing regular new editions. This was uh, part of a 55-label series based on vintage cigar bands from the 1930s, including cigar bands from before World War II that showed the faces of Hitler and Mussolini. Managing director remained unapologetic, arguing the pictures of Hitler appear in the media all the time. There's no problem with the picture. The newspaper quoted him as saying some some cream with your Hitler? Wireless carrier AT&T this week apologized to U-verse subscribers after a false emergency warning was issued through FEMA. The warning repeatedly flashed to viewers in Tennessee, Texas, Michigan, Georgia, and areas in southern Mississippi and automatically changed to local NBC News affiliates. I'd be apologizing just for that. No, Brian, we love you here. The head of the Russian Tennis Federation has written to U.S. star athlete Serena Williams to apologize for comments in which he referred to her and her sister Venus as, quote, the Williams brothers. Shamil Tarpishthev made the derogatory remarks last Friday while appearing on a popular Russian television show, adding that the Williams sisters were scary to look at. The former Boris Yeltsin coach later apologized for the comments, saying they were wrong and could be construed as discriminatory by the public. Could Friday, Serena said she had received the written apology. Tarpeev, head of the Russian, has headed the Russian Tennis Federation since 1999. Was fined $25,000 and suspended from involvement in international women's ten- tennis tour for a year because of his comments. The Apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. A copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And what the frack? What the frack, one might ask. And, w- and one just did. Um, the, uh, the issue of methane leaks from fracking wells, studied by uh, scientists from the University Institute of Environmental Physics at Bremen, Germany, the Department of Atmospheric and Oceanic Science at the University of Maryland, and the Center for Ecology and Hydrology at Wallingford Britain. And they say in this study of fugitive methane emissions from oil and gas production, in the past decade, there's been a massive growth in the horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing of shale gas and tight oil reservoirs to exploit formerly inaccessible or unprofitable energy resources. In North America, these unconventional domestic sources of natural gas provide an opportunity to achieve energy self-sufficiency and to reduce greenhouse gas emissions when displacing coal as a source of energy. However, fugitive methane emissions in the production process may counter the benefit over coal with respect to climate change and therefore need to be well quantified. In this study, we demonstrate that positive methane anomalies associated with oil and gas can be detected from space and that corresponding regional emissions can be constrained using satellite observations. We estimate that methane emissions for two of the fastest-growing production regions in the United States, the Bakken and Eagle Ford formations, have increased between 2006-2008 and 2009-2011. These emission estimates correspond to leakages of 10.1% and 9.1% in terms of energy content, calling immediate climate benefit into question and indicating the current inventories likely underestimate the fugitive methane emissions from both these fields and may mean switching to natural gas gives you no climate change advantage over coal. A bridge fuel? You know what kind of bridge that is. Bridge to nowhere. we uh-huh. From New Orleans, this is Lachow, and now, ladies and gentlemen, news from outside the bubble. Well, the chorus continues to grow. This week, one of Britain's most senior military figures has accused the British government of running scared over a fresh military intervention in Iraq. General Sir Richard Sharif, NATO's formerly deputy supreme Allied commander in Europe told The Independent on Sunday, both the prime minister and the defense minister have waxed lyrical about the apocalyptic nature of the threat. If that's the case, you need a proper strategy to deal with it. The general who left the military a couple months ago dismissed Britain's involvement in airstrikes and aid drops as, quote, futile gestures, unquote. When it comes to dealing with Islamic State, he said, quote, if you've got a terrorist organization that's equipped like a state army, albeit a pretty ropey state army, there's only one thing you can do about it, If you want to get rid of them, you've got to go and fight them. And that means deploying effective military force to fight them. The former NATO commander added, in case you didn't get the point yet, quote, I've seen enough of fighting, but sometimes you've got to do it. And what we have is a government that wrings its hands, shouts loudly, but carries a tiny stick, which it's not prepared to use. He accused the government of playing politics instead of strategy because they're so petrified about overseas military commitment in the face of an election next year. They're not prepared to do anything. If this is serious and a cancer that's got to be excised, there's only one way to do it. We should go and fight the bastards on the ground. Quoting, This hand-wringing about boots on the ground, I just find out ludicrous, frankly, he said. He stressed military force will not succeed unless it is part of our wider strategic approach to deal with the problem, which he describes as a serious threat. If we see the breakup of the Middle East's geographic and state framework that we've got at the moment, then it's going to make the breakup of Yugoslavia
2: look like a children's tea party.
1: A former, others though urged caution, Douglas Douglas Porch, an insurgency expert who's taught at the U.S. Army War College, urged that Britain risks swelling the numbers of people going to Syria if it intervenes. Every time we've intervened since Jimmy Carter in the 1980s, he says, we make the situation worse. We create power vacuums, we alienate people, and we create uh, ungoverned spaces. We are living the consequences, in my opinion, of that succession of policies, he told the Parliament's Defense Select Committee. A former CIA officer in Iraq and Afghanistan believes Britain is exaggerating the threat of Islamic State and playing into the hands of extremists by threatening to disown its own citizens. Patrick Skinner, a director of the Sufan Group of Security Consultants, said the tendency seems to be exaggeration, at least in the certainty of the threat. It's a real concern, but it's not like this ticking time bomb of certainty, unquote. The threat needs to be kept in perspective, he says. It's a real threat, but then the world is full of many real threats. unquote. He, He cautioned against having a policy driven by unfounded fear. Fright is a bad policy. We've gone through this road before, where if it is possible, it becomes imminent. And we know for a fact that's foolish and just an utter waste of resources, unquote. Patrick Skinner. This all from The Independent on Sunday in London. Meanwhile, ladies and gentlemen, our friend Saudi Arabia is warning women not to protest the ban on female drivers, Uh, 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 uh. In a statement released by the Interior Ministry, Saudi officials warned they would punish women who attempt to drive in their country, as well as the men who allow them to do so. Female drivers in Saudi Arabia will be dealt with strictly. The ministry will apply regulations firmly against those who violate the country's laws, unquote. Thank God we need their oil. The warning comes as the one-year anniversary of a protest on Saudi Arabia's driving ban for women approaches. Last year, a similar protest occurred. Women were encouraged to photograph themselves driving all over Saudi Arabia ended up posted on social media. Women who do so this year could face serious social and legal problems under the current laws in our friend, Saudi Arabia, which strictly pr- prohibit women from getting behind the wheel. It will be also targeting the men who let them. They would take action against anyone, quote, who contributes in any manner or by any act towards providing violators with the opportunity to undermine the social cohesion, unquote. Iraqi security forces have overtaken and have retaken most of the town of Jurf al-Sakhar near Baghdad from Islamic State militants, says Reuters. That's the biggest gain in months of fighting for the strategic area. On the other hand, the Telegraph of London reports things are getting worse in Iraq. The advance of the jihadists On Baghdad continues, slower than before, but still with no sign of a reversal of fortune. Another district fell last week after a major military base the week before. Scores more innocent civilians have died in a rise in bombings. And uh, there is now a new Islamic State assault on Mount Sinjar against the Yazidis who are still trapped there. But the world's attention has been focused, says the the Telegraph, on the medium-sized Kurdish town of Kobane. On the Syrian-Turkish border, whose accessibility has provided countless opportunities for telegenic news coverage of American airstrikes, making it something like a what the newspaper actually what uh, Ben Barry, a former British Army brigadier who has analyzed the military situation in Iraq, calls the CNN factor in that choice to emphasize that struggle. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And uh, now, news of our pack, which uh, this week focuses on the fact that the new government is uh, finally taken over from the Karzai government. And uh, the New York Times reports that the new guy has a, a different style. Uh, he's going around is uh, Ashraf Ghani, and um, making sure that uh, police are on duty at their posts as they're supposed to be, that uh, doctors at hospitals are staffed 24-7 as they're supposed to be, uh, ending the practice of uh, quite luxurious feasts in the presidential palace for officials. Uh, people are saying he's focusing on institutions rather than on politics. Meanwhile, As they say, opium poppy cultivation in Afghanistan has hit a record high, according to the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. He's calling into question the efficacy of the $7.6 billion U.S. counter-narcotics effort, an important source of funding, it turns out, for the Taliban insurgency, that is the illicit trade in opium, and a major contributor to the country's rampant corruption. Figures are expected to climb as security deteriorates in rural Afghanistan and eradication efforts lose steam he also reports does the special inspector general for afghanistan reconstruction that uh, the u.s spent 3.6 million dollars to supply three television production trucks for afghan tv networks the vehicles were for live sporting events such as soccer cricket and other sports and buskashi teams of horse-mounted players compete to haul a stuffed goat skin towards separate goals sort of like polo The uh, trucks, uh, the original contract called for five trucks, later amended in 2013 to include fewer vehicles, but the trucks have never been used. They're uh, covered by tarps, unused to this date. The Pentagon this month will terminate a critical task force responsible for combating corruption in Afghanistan, according to The Washington Times, as it tries to reach President Obama's target force of 9,800 U.S. troops remaining in the country, adding to concerns about oversight and accountability in a government rife with waste, fraud and abuse. And, Chahar Chahardara, the New York Times reported that the Taliban are back in the, province of, the northern province of Kunduz, with two months left before the formal end of the 13th year international combat missions. Western officials say Afghan security forces have managed to contain the Taliban's offensive, but the insurgents alarming gains in Kunduz in recent weeks present a different picture. There are now two districts almost entirely under Taliban rule and they're administering lo- legal cases in schools, even allowing international aid operations to work there. Kind of like a government. So that's what it sounds like seen from here. What does it look like? Seen from there. From
2: Afghanistan public Radio, now 20 percent less corrupt. From the new top protected broadcasting center in downtown Kabul, where dead goat polo coverage begins soon. <laughs> I'm Mahmoud And I'm Hamid. We're to Helen back. the still here brothers. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Karzai Talk. Today's program comes to you with the assistance of the Karzai Family Foundation. Family is our middle name. Yes, it is. (laughs) Well, my brother... Back to civilian life at long last. Mm -hmm. How does it feel suddenly not to have power over many of the provinces of this great country? (laughs) Not all of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, My younger brother, power is like that green robe I wore while in office. After a while, it begins to sting. (laughs) 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 And what a joy it is to be in this state-of-the-art facility, Mm -hmm. so large, so modern, so much like the facilities are Public Radio Brothers have in America. Mm-hmm. And so paid for by their taxpayers. <laughs> <That too. laughs> maybe now that we are enjoying the air-conditioned comfort of this beautiful truck, mm-hmm. uh, maybe you are feeling a little more gratitude toward... Our long-suffering American friends. Oh, my brother, this television production truck, named the Rune Arledge for some reason, is indeed beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure our brothers at the Afghan sports channel, ASPN, uh, look forward to using it. Just as soon as the Americans send some cameras. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a good idea. Uh, Their loss is our gain. Oh, I think you've just come up with our family's motto. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, you're on cars I talk.
4: Hello, I'm I'm Daoud, Mm. one-time provincial governor, a long-time caller. Oh,
2: hello, Daoud, and uh, what's your pledge?
4: Uh, Wait a minute, this isn't uh, pledge drive
2: time, is it? Uh, No, but now under our new improved system, Mm -hmm. you do have to pay to talk to my brother. Mm-hmm. We're trying to please the Americans by privatizing corruption. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Go ahead, Dawood. It was just a joke.
4: <laughs> Good one, as always. Thank you. Uh, Hamid, I have a question about the new president. Ah,
2: This is an excellent opportunity for you to either display your gift for respectful reticence or your true personality. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: do you think that his policy of stopping the nice dinners will stand the test of Time mm. and, uh, and, and speaking of time, mm-hmm. uh, do you think he is going to continue uh, checking the timesheets of all provincial governors every day? If I have to show up for work at, by, by nine mm. uh, o'clock, mm-hmm. that's just going to make uh, rush hour traffic in my village worse.
2: Well, of course, everybody approaches this stuff in their own way. Mm-hmm. I myself think people are more approachable and less grumpy after you've you fed them a splendiferous feast. Also, more drowsy. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. If you're trying to knock heads together, sometimes it's better if the heads aren't fully awake. (laughs) But, Uh Dawood, maybe you should take a page from my brother's book.
4: Oh, I I took the whole book, but I could reopen the library and give it back. (laughs) (laughs) I was
2: being metaphorical. Uh Why don't you vastly increase the size of your entourage? When the new president sees the traffic snarl, he's sure to lighten up on the punctuality bit. I've got some spare limos in cherry condition.
4: Uh, You mean never driven? No,
2: I mean somebody in the maintenance crew spilled cherry coke in them. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the call. Speaking of cars, my brother, Mm -hmm. your Toyota dealership must be having to adjust to life without government contracts. Mm -hmm. For the first time in his life, if my brother wants somebody to buy a car... He actually has to sell it to them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm not denying that the always implicit threat of violence was good for business, Mm. but now our prices are even closer to rock bottom than when I was selling to the government. (laughs) (laughs) But not at rock bottom. No, I may be slimy, but I'm not crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hey, our engineer, Abdullah, just discovered that our truck came equipped with its own library of uh, sports show theme music. Mm. Let's hear one to introduce our next call. (laughs) Wow. Makes me want to call my bookie. But you are your bookie. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh. You are on cars I talk. Uh, hello, I'm Officer Khan, long-time police sergeant, first-time caller. Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't double park outside the tarp, did you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. No, I, wa- I wasn't calling about that ah. but first. I mean, mm-hmm. I just wanted to thank you for your years. Of service to your country. Well, Sergeant, I appreciate that. I no. don't hear that every day. Mm. That's only because he doesn't pay me to say it every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd, I have been on the Anti-Opium Puppy Task Force for the last few years. Oh, you're doing a heck of a job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and that's my question. Mm. Uh, Do you think under the new regime we're going to have any more success against the public growers? Yes, I do, for two reasons. Two reasons, dear brother? (laughs) Yes. One, you know that over the last few years an increasing number of Our own citizens have grown addicted to the poppy. I I, I certainly do. Well, that degree of demand is going to force the price down, and that will encourage some farmers to grow something else more lucrative. Like food? (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) And the other reason? Well, I'm sure our sergeant here remembers how hard it was for the poppy farmers during the brutal rule of our Taliban brothers. Oh, yes, indeed. Well, it looks like they're taking over some northern provinces again. (laughs) (laughs) If that's true, Mm -hmm. the only thing I'd want to be less than a poppy farmer Mm -hmm. is a female poppy farmer. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the call. We had help today from the Dibbs Foundation. Helping us cover just what we want to. Legal services for Cars I Talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Nukum. I'm Mahmoud. And our prices of new Toyotas are in. Stop it, stop it. And I'm Hamid. Join us again as long as we can use the truck for another edition of Cars I Talk. This is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe.
4: Addy, the atom. Yeah, I'm here.
1: Is is uh, autumn your favorite time of the year too? Yeah, uh, uh, that's uh, that's when all my free uh, free quarks fall. Your free quarks. Wow, I didn't even know they were giving them away. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, some news of the atom, as uh, previously mentioned. Dayline Limerick, Pennsylvania. There once was a. Three days after granting the Limerick nuclear plant another 20 years of operation, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission announced it will institute increased oversight of the plant because of a security problem. What was it? They will not identify. There once was a security plant that you couldn't get in if you were an ant. No. According to information released late this week by the NRC, the federal agency will, quote, perform a supplemental inspection of Limerick to ensure that the uh, operator of the plant, You want to say the name? Yeah, I do.
4: Excellent.
1: Fully understands the root causes of the issue and has implemented long-term corrective actions. According to the statement, the increased oversight is the result of a security problem identified at the plant during an NRC inspection this June. But they don't say. No. Shh. Since the terrorist attacks of 9-11, the NRC does not reveal the specifics of security problems at any nuclear facility, so there's no information publicly available regarding the actual nature of the problem. The NRC attempts to give the public a sense of the seriousness of the situation by using a color coding system. Anything coded green is considered minor. And when it comes to security issues, the NRC will only confirm whether an item is greater than green, which is how the June incidents were characterized. Greater than green.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: green is green is not nuclear. Yeah, nu- green is. Nu- the NRC has never denied a license renewal application from a nuclear plant. That's, that's in stiff oversight. That is. The U.S. and Russia are joining forces to block a, Europe, block a European plan to raise the protection of nuclear reactors against natural disasters after Fouke. Well, who needs... Oh. Envoys from both the United States and Russia are trying to derail a Swiss-led initiative that would force nuclear plant operators to invest more on safety undermining attempts to harmonize global safety regulation, according to eight European and U.S. diplomats who attended meetings in Vienna last week. All asked not to be named. Even as relations between Russia and the U.S. have sunk to a post-Cold War low, the two powers have come together, according to Bloomberg News, to press their shared interest in resisting more stringent safety guidelines, according to the diplomats. The U.S. is the world's largest nuclear power generator. Russia exports more reactors than anyone else. The U.S.-Russia collaboration reflects a nuclear safety convention who secretly is laid bare in documents obtained by Bloomberg News under Freedom of Information. It underscores the high stakes for an industry trying to bounce back after Fouck. European attempts to impose higher safety standards would make nuclear power more costly just as plant operators come under price pressure from cheaper natural gas. European regulators prompted by Fouke are seeking to rewrite international standards to ensure nuclear oper- operators not only prevent accidents but mitigate consequences if they occur by installing costly new structures built to survive natural disasters. Survival is overrated. Yeah. Korea's Now, two uh, stories from Korea. Korea's national budget for disaster preparedness has been decreased to a large extent in spite of the increasing importance of nuclear accident prevention. I guess it's catching this. This not survival stuff. Yeah, I guess it is. The amount of the budget uh, has dropped. I'm not going to do the numbers for you, but it's uh, according to the ruling party lawmaker Lee Jung-hyun. Says he added equipment such as radiation meters were purchased in quantity immediately after Fuk, but disaster prevention has been, quote, laid aside recently. Been 684 accidents and failures in the 23 atomic power stations currently in operation in Korea. The uh, lawmaker says more investment has to be made in the establishment of disaster prevention systems and education and training to that end. It never ends. Three high level officials at a state run energy company in Korea who resigned from their post last year after a corruption scandal involving counterfeit parts in nuclear plants. Are back on the job, according to another lawmaker. One of the three was reemployed in two months, while the other two had their jobs back within nine months. It's called accountability. It is indeed. Clean, cheap, safe, not too accountable, our friend the Adam. And now.
4: He's not a general, he commands no troops, he's not an inspector inspector
1: general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. News of inspectors general, ladies and gentlemen. After the fall of Egyptian President Mubarak in 2011, the U.S. Agency for International Development hired several non-governmental organizations to set up pro-democracy programs in Egypt. Even though they were not registered to work in the country, less than a year later, the Egyptian government charged 43 workers with operating illegally, 16 of the, them Americans, including the son of then U.S. Transportation Secretary Ray LaHood. The Americans were freed after U.S. aid secretly paid the Egyptian government $4.6 million in, "quotes bail, unquote, money. That May, the Office of Inspector General at U.S. Aid Completed a confidential draft audit of the program that questioned the wisdom of the program and the legality of using the money to post bail. But when the IG office publicly issued its final audit report, those findings and other critical conclusions had been removed, according to The Washington Post. The auditor said the office has increasingly become a defender of the agency under acting Inspector General Michael G. Carroll. Some auditors said Carroll did not want to create controversy because he's awaiting Senate confirmation to become the permanent Inspector General. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at this same time over the same stations, NPR Worldwide. I'm going to skip all that just to be able to tell you this. My new television series, Nixon's The One, has premiered on YouTube. A new episode every week for six weeks. The real conversations, word for word, from the Nixon White House tapes. Just go to YouTube and put in Nixon's the one, Harry Shearer, and you get to see it for free. Yeah, I know you've heard all about it on all the other shows on NPR, but I'm telling you just to be on the safe side. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead. Thanks to Jenny Lawson here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. And I'll be in Philadelphia tomorrow night at the World Cafe and in New York City at the Slipper Room this Wednesday night to um, do a personal appearance, talk about Nixon and me, how he's shown over my life so far, and to show some really cool excerpt clips from Nixon's The One. So it's Philadelphia Monday night at World Cafe and New York City, Cite, at the Slipper Room Wednesday night. Love to see you there. The email address for this broadcast and the playlist of the music heard here on and Cars I Talk t-shirts, think of it, all available at harryshearer.com. And that will also give you a link to Nixon's, to the aforementioned Nixon's The One television series. Love you to see it. Did I do the tip of the, the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks? If not, here it is. And if I did, I did it again. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans. Flagship station for the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans.